are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Atmospheric, intimate, obsessive. Adam Scott Neal is a composer whose work ranges from chamber music to video to tinkering with toys and homebrew electronics. Described as exquisitely crafted by creative loafing, his pieces reflect a fascination with objects and technologies, namely their capabilities, limitations, and shifting cultural meanings. Adam's music is relatively minimal, encouraging listeners to focus on little details that make instruments unique and beautiful. Adam earned a PhD at the University of Florida and currently lives in North Carolina. I wanted to start with your piece title. Okay. Um, and I realized that the way I just said that, it sounds like I said the word title, but tidal, mm-hmm. as in uh, tides from the from the moon or in the in the in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a piece for piano and fixed media, and just from reading your notes, um, harmonically, this piece has some pretty hefty structure behind it. So, can you tell me or tell us how the piece was kind of constructed? Uh, sure. So, I mean, my initial idea was um, playing around with the juxtaposition of equal temperament and just intonation. So, um, what's going on basically in the piece is um, some filtered white noise. So, it's essentially sine tones, but uh, um, playing chords that go from um, equal temperament to just intonation, and the piano is playing against that, so you have some nice warbling happening. But what's also happening is when they go into just intonation, you start to get some difference tones, um, which, uh, if anyone's listening, doesn't know. These are kind of... um, If you take the frequencies and subtract them, then your brain interprets this as another tone way below the uh, two tones that are played. So... Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, for instance, mm-hmm. for instance, if you have a uh, a pitch that's at four forty and a pitch that's at four hundred, the difference would be forty. So you'd hear a low, like forty hertz sound. Exactly. So yeah. when I'm playing around with um, with those uh, synthesized tones and making those uh, difference tones, is um, I was starting to find okay, so. This D minor chord has a very strong G, D, and a, a G above that. And so you were getting this strong sense of G underneath. And uh, then I started um, having the piano reinforce those. And I don't remember exactly how I came up with this, but I decided at some point, well, I'll just kind of do a sonata. Um, so even though the <laughs> the surface chords are are different and, and don't really go in a, a tonal structure. Like there might be D minor and then, uh, you know, G flat minor right after it or something. But the difference tones they make are still following a very traditional one, five, one progression overall. So, um, I was kind of, doing, Oh man. So I was doing kind of a parody of Schenker in a way. Uh, so in actuality, you're, you have, you have this, uh, this, kind of background background very traditional tonal progression that's happening but it's not there i mean in in real life our brain creates it right and i mean there are some moments and uh, i still kind of smile when they come in because it's like there's some very obvious five one moments <laughs> and i had <laughs> i hadn't been doing anything like that in my music for a um, forever <laughs> and, and then i was like you know what i'm just just gonna go for it because that's what this piece is apparently about is it's um it's a quasi sonata it's not a sonata on the surface but in the deep structure it still is when you're talking about it's uh it was based on the harmonic series starting at a c and that is um is that the electronic uh, tones that are that are based on that uh, harmonic series, or is that the piano writing that is based on that harmonic series? Um, well, I guess they both kind of are. It's, it's mostly the electronics because I'm using um, partials that are they're really high right. up. I I don't remember what numbers they are now. Um, and so sixteen or above. Sure. Probably. So I was finding ones where I could make tonal triads that if they were in just intonation, they wouldn't necessarily sound like triads because they kind of fuse together um to sound like uh part of the um the fundamental tone if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. 
so so I was kind of playing around with these really high harmonics going back and forth. So they sounded like a synthetic chord and then sounded like upper harmonics of something else. Um, so the but the piano is reinforcing all of these, so it's kind of based on that as well. Um, so there's there's a lot more happening in the upper register of the piano, and it's much more spread out in the lower register. So in that way, they're both based on that harmonic series. But of course, the piano is only approximating the harmonic series. Was your reason for using just intonation that you wanted to use the harmonic series, or rather, were you kind of interested in just intonation by itself? Um, yeah, I think I was mostly interested in the harmonic series because I had uh, done another piece for flute and guitar right before this where I, I was trying to keep the guitar only playing natural harmonics. And, you know, as you write, you start to creep in other notes. But I, I was trying to <laughs> to be rigorous and have only harmonics. As, as you do. Uh, <laughs> but I was trying to be rigorous for a while. And then I decided, uh, no, I don't need to be rigorous, because why? Um, but part of me still wants to do that, and that's why I write pieces like this that are like kind of rigorous and then, then not. Um, so yeah, I was interested in the harmonic series, but I was also just interested in the immediate uh, phenomenon of the, of the beating um, when the tones were uh, not in tune. So there was a little bit of both there. Yeah, usually when you see... Usually when you see just intonation in the program notes, I think I think to myself, oh boy, this is going to get rough at some point. <laughs> but, you know, your background is is very subtle and it and like you say it kind of makes the piano shimmer as opposed to like really clashing with it, you know, and really getting that the kind of the grating rough sounds that you can from that beating. Right, like I I like I can't remember the title of it now, the Jonathan Harvey piece uh Referencing oh, Messian, the Tambo de Messian, yeah, yeah. that one. Uh, so, so I like that one and, and the concept, but yeah, it does get rough. And uh, I guess my aesthetic is just much more, uh, I don't know, smooth and ethereal. So uh, this was kind of my take on that idea of juxtaposing the different intonation systems. Who, um, who are we going to hear on the recording? Um, this recording is Amy O'Dell. Uh, who is a pianist in Atlanta who plays with the group Chamber Cartel as well as other groups. Cool. And then I'll play it, obviously. <laughs> or I could hum it or something. What's that? Or I could hum it or something. Yeah, you could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> you do... You do uh... <laughs> That's my interpretation of my piece. <laughs> you do the... Um you know, the, the regular equal temperament and I'll do the just intonation. <laughs> okay. Let's see how well our ear training, uh, is. <laughs> Since I'm a little out of shape on those things. <laughs>
Uh, let's talk about dampers and um you s- in your notes you said you wrote this as a speed writing challenge for the charlotte new music festival was this the speed writing in 2013 i think it was the one where you were there yes um, okay well the okay then it was at 2014 okay 2014 yeah. um yeah okay so um <clears throat> I'm just gonna say I didn't like I didn't like my speed writing piece <laughs> whatsoever. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think I'm very equipped to do speed writing. Um, like I love the process. So basically, at this festival, it was a two week festival, and um, everyone had to write a new piece at the festival for some combination of instrumentalists that were at the festival. But uh, I think half of us or so. Um, got to collaborate with choreographers at the same time. So, you know, just imagine writing a new piece and getting it choreographed in a week. It's a little bit daunting, but I really like that process of working with the choreographer. But speed writing, uh, it just just doesn't work for me, especially at that festival, because there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. at that festival. It's like, when do you write? So, how did you do how did you manage this because you were on kind of the management side at this festival right <laughs> right well I, I do remember I, I think I wrote this piece in a like six and a half hours you know a little bit here and a little bit there and uh, so in years since I have not done a speed writing piece because it's like I, I've done these exercises at school several times so I don't feel the need to speed write again. For whatever yeah. reason, that year I still wanted to do it, and now I don't anymore. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, a lot of my pieces uh, come from I just try to come up with a simple idea that sort of gets in my head uh, that I can't get rid of, and then just go with it. And that's sort of what had happened here. So it's um, all I had thought of it. I had kind of, I guess I had a Piero ensemble. Um, yeah, that's what it ended up being, but I think that's what I yep. ended up having to start with. And I just thought, okay, well, let's start with um, the strings playing pizzicato and the winds um, sustaining. Um, and how do we bring the piano in here? Well, the piano can sustain kind of, but not really. And so the concept to me became, well, everything can attack. Some things can sustain and crescendo. Some things kind of sustain until they run out of energy. That would be the piano. Um but I, I just came up with a few simple gestures and, and threw them together. So the speed writing piece was was okay, and then I enough of it intrigued me that I went back and added three minutes to it later uh, to make this piece. If, yeah, for my speed writing piece, I think because I was interested, what I was interested in at the time, it just didn't lend itself well to that having to having to just churn something out. So I thought this this worked really well, you know. It, like you say, it is it is a pretty simple idea, but it's a but it's a compelling idea, and it's just a single idea, which makes you know this tight little piece. I think and that that particular new music festival that we were at that that year was. I mean, have you are you still connected with that festival? I am. I'm taking kind of a sabbatical this year because my day job was just um, so uh, taxing that I needed a little yeah. break from it. So I'm going to, I'll be back next year. Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm still on staff, and I had I moved up. I was the production manager, I think, when you were there. So, really, ru- uh-huh. just running the uh, the concerts, and then I kind of took over admissions and ran the daily colloquium and uh, kind of a little bit of everything. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But then my day job is a lot of fun too, and both take a lot of energy. So I had to pick and choose, and I said, you know, the one that actually pays is where I should put my energy. Probably, probably. But that that 2014 New Music Festival at Charlotte. I mean, I know that you didn't get to hang out that much because because you were you know mm-hmm. you were setting up concerts and doing like doing all kinds of behind the scenes work, but. I felt like that was a really special group of composers. I mean, many of us are still very connected, still kind of helping each other and supporting each other in different ways. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case when you when you have one of those festivals. Well, I mean, I, I'm very uh, community and service oriented, so I try to make an environment where you feel like where everyone feels like they're welcome. And I I mean, the last thing I would want to do is people to come in and think that their aesthetic wasn't valued just from the get-go. Um, and so it's awesome that you guys are keeping in touch. And I, I see that every year. And fortunately, as we've gotten better at hosting the festival, there's been a little more downtime where I've actually been able to to interact with people and, and uh, um, have a little more fun myself <laughs> at the festival. But uh, right, yeah. it, it always takes a lot of work. But, um, you know, it's worth it. You said that you expanded this piece. Um, so at the festival, it started out as a Pierrot ensemble. How did you expand it? Um, well, mostly expanded the duration. Um, I think the, from what I recall, all the elements, like the different sections were kind of there. I don't even know if I added any sections, but um, there's this little little bit that comes in where the ensemble plays a little faster. They they kind of have this jerky motion. Dinkoo, 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 and I interspersed that more because the piece is basically just one chord. Um, and again, it's a, sort of inspired by harmonic series of um, low C and B flat kind of on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think I was thinking of the clarinet and the cello or something like that. Cause I think maybe, maybe I had bass clarinet first. I, I can't even remember, but it was something odd like that. And so I thought, well, eh, B flat and C I'll put those together because again, I wrote it in six and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the new version, it was sort of like, okay, I didn't do enough of this thing. Let's add that. Um, but I, yeah, I really feel like the structure was there. I just stretched it out a little more. The, the recording that you sent, aren't, aren't I hearing, or am I hearing like uh, vibraphone and saxophone in there too? Oh, uh, you might be. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I, I've expanded it twice. So I, I made a five-minute version with Pierrot Ensemble, and then because um, my ensemble uh, that I used to work with, Terminus, uh, we had um, we had a saxophonist one year, and uh, we lost a clarinet player. So I um, transcribed the clarinet part for alto saxophone. And then since one of the percussionists was just kind of hanging around being bored, I added a vibraphone part. <laughs> so and, then, and I added a viola part, too. And a lot of what we had been doing with Terminus, um, just for the sake of rehearsals, was you know, duos and trios. It's just easier to get together. And I thought, we, we need to have some a couple pieces where it's basically everybody. And I knew this piece was um, pretty easy to put together, so I added a few parts so at least we could have, you know, a a piece to kind of start the program with everyone playing. And is that the recording that we're going to hear? It must be. I forgot what I sent you. I, I think it is, yeah. <laughs> so so um, from your description, since, you know, I, I forget what I have, because <laughs> it's been played a couple times, this must be Terminus Ensemble at University of Georgia um, last, uh, last January uh, 2016. Thank you. 
Yeah, I was um I was looking at your website and you have all your scores on your website and there's a part maybe about a minute in or so and I was I was looking I was like, "Oh, that's piano. Okay, the piano takes it for a while." Wait. Isn't that vibraphone? Like Wait, isn't that a saxophone? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> well, I'm sorry for the confusion. Yeah, I do have a, 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 a I do have a quintet and a septet version, yeah. That's cool though because, you know, so many <clears throat> I've I've kind of wanted to do that in certain situations, you know, just rearrange for what I've got in front of me, but it never quite works out like, you know, the, the I guess I write the in the past I've just written too specifically for the instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this isn't going to transfer, but I love that idea and I want to do it. I just need to like set myself the um the goal to write something that can be easily transferred so that, you know, you can have a piece that lives in several different worlds. Yeah, I mean, it it's tough, and I think it depends on the piece because I've, you know, I want to have as many performance opportunities as I can, so I have done some transcriptions like this to, to make things happen. Like, I have an old piece for uh, alto saxophone and harp, and of course I made a version with piano, but it's like, well, it's not as cool as harp, but at least it'll yeah. get played. So I I uh, feel your pain on that. Like, if it's too specific, you really have that certain sound in mind, it doesn't work. But um, they will hate me for saying this, but I think, in this piece anyway, a clarinet could substitute for an alto sax and vice versa in this piece okay guys it's you know i'm not saying that your instruments sound the same i'm saying they're comparable enough for this piece shots fired I know, shots I, fired I know. I'm, yeah, never gonna live that down <laughs> cut, cut that part out so let's let's go to uh, a very not clarinet or alto saxophone piece blocks okay for a string quartet <laughs> all right so this is, uh, you said in the notes, this is half about block chords and half about block form mm-hmm. with uh, Stravinsky. One of the things that I love about Stravinsky's block form is that you get a sense that if you, if you took the material out of the blocks and you like put all of it together to form phrases, they would be complete phrases mm-hmm. as if like, you know, Oh, I'm going to write this three minutes material and then just chop it up and intersperse it. And I think, and that kind of creates this mental game for the listener is like, can you piece it back together? Can you keep all these separate musical streams uh, in your head and then know where you're going to be when that block comes back? And I think certain uh, Messian pieces do that as well. Was that something you were thinking about in this piece? Oh, sure. Um, I, uh, I don't know how it came about, really, but uh, so many of my pieces for the previous few years had been very uh, teleological. Just I, I have that one idea, and it sort of grows, and then it sort of peters out without any real climax. And so I, I just wanted to do something that was a little more disjunct, finally, just to kind of push myself in that direction. And I had always liked that aspect of Stravinsky that you're talking about, too, like uh, Symphonies of Wind Instruments is one of my favorite pieces of his, and it has very clear ideas that just, you know, I, I don't feel the need to really meld these together. It's just going to do this thing and then this thing. Um, but in my piece, I I wanted to, you know, it's one of those things like, well, I need to show that I have craft too, so I need to make some variations. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so uh, you know, then, then the uh, different blocks started melding together a little bit. So then that was sort of the game for myself of, you know, what what aspect of this block can kind of leach into this one and uh, and transform it a little bit. But then at the same time, let's just, sharply cut off back to another thing um, because that's fun and keeps you on your toes. Well, that's interesting to hear you say that because I thought that after listening to this, I, w- I was thinking that you kind of, you know, in certain times you kind of minimize the block form feeling due to the, a kind of harmonic connectative, mm-hmm. connectativeness, connectiveness. Sure. Yeah. Connectitude. Um, <laughs> Connectivity. <laughs> um but your harmonically your blocks are connected right so for me this kind of this piece is kind of about these forces of connection and separation that are at odds kind of pulling at each other 
And it, it sounds like that was something that you were thinking about as well. Yeah, you know, now now that you articulate it, and it's always great to have someone else comment on your music and say, this is what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was doing that, huh? Um, yeah, you know, like, um, it, it took me a long time during my compositional career, so to speak, <laughs> to, to realize that I wanted to be a minimalist. <laughs> and so, uh, and now I, I'm doing all these pieces that are harmonically pretty static. And so this piece to me seems pretty disjunct compared to my other pieces. But yeah, I fully recognize it, it doesn't venture that far. So I, I think that's a, that's a really good point that, um, that the gestures and you know that this is a different section coming back but we're still in the same general area, and I know how this relates harmonically to the next section and that kind of thing. So you still feel like mm -hmm. you're in a coherent world. Um, so we'll see on the next one if I try to be more disjunct what happens. <laughs> was this also a Charlotte piece? Uh, this was, yeah. I wrote it for Bayo's String Quartet. I think when you were there, they were still called Freya. Um, so Jason, New yes. Jason Newcomb... Um, he reformed. He formed a new string quartet with his brother Sean Newcomb, um, and so they're called Bayo, and they've come for the last, I guess, last two years now. Um, and Where so, are they located? Pittsburgh. I think that's all I had to ask about it. Is there anything else? Mm, well, uh, I'll give a little anecdote that um, the the main tune from this piece got stuck in everyone's head, and so some of the participants for the Charlotte Festival went to Carowinds Amusement Park. And they were singing it. Uh -huh. They told me they were singing it on one of the roller coasters. So it's one of my uh, proudest uh, compositional moments. <laughs> <laughs> singing it on the roller coaster. <laughs> Take that, Schoenberg. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. One, uh, let's see. Uh, have you ever do you, have you ever heard of or do you do you know about this place called Cedar Point in Ohio? I do know of it, and I like roller coasters, but I haven't been able to visit that one. I've heard it's amazing. If you ever get a, ch if you if yeah, if you ever get a chance, you should. I mean, since I grew up in Toledo, like it's you know we'd go there every summer, or so a couple times a summer. And uh, the last summer I was in the Ohio area, I went with a couple musician friends, and um, I, we just we were you know twenty two and kind of bored. And um, on every ride, we just decided, like, you you get back into the station after the ride. And he was like, all right, welcome back, riders. How was your ride? You know? And, <laughs> and we just decided to yell something like, because it, it always comes back, welcome back, riders. How'd you ride? Wah! And then that's it. So we would wait until everyone yelled, and then we would yell something, like, fairly inappropriate. So... <laughs> So like, welcome back, riders. How was your ride? Sexually transmitted. <laughs> How was your ride? Only okay. Yeah, I, I would be that guy saying it was. Um, yeah. It gave me a little bit of a headache, but I enjoyed it while it was happening. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I'm going to analyze so, this experience and not actually enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. This is uh, that's totally off, but. Um, this is Blocks, and this is the Bayo String Quartet.
It seems like, and I mean, I follow I follow a bunch of people, bunch of musicians and composers on Twitter that are connected to the scene mm-hmm. in Atlanta. It seems like there's a lot happening there. So, can you tell us kind of what's going on in Atlanta right now? Um, yeah, there there is a lot. Um, so, um, my alma mater is Georgia State, uh, which is downtown Atlanta. So, a lot of it is connected uh, through fellow alums from there or from uh, professors there. So, yeah, there's a fair number of uh, chamber ensembles um, doing contemporary classical music now. So um, there was a Terminus Ensemble, which I used to run. There's a Chamber Cartel that I've worked with quite a lot, Bent Frequency, and then there's Sonic Generator. They're based out of Georgia Tech. Um, and then and there's a couple... Uh, couple new smaller ones that are popping up and the names escape me now um sorry guys uh, and then the <laughs> the atlanta chamber players um is they they play a lot of your standard um uh romantic repertoire but they also play some contemporary music on occasion um and then um yeah so there, there's a lot of different uh groups and then there's a little experimental improv scene as well uh kind of connected to the art scene and uh there's a little bit of cross-pollination but uh the coolest thing is that all those contemporary ensembles banded together the last two years to put together uh this festival called sound now um, which started out as just you know let's all plan to have our concerts during the same week so we can help promote each other and i i think uh this year they were um, even a little more connected, I think, using some of the same venues and things like that. So um, hopefully that will continue to grow and really show all the different cool things that are happening in the city. They, they brought on more ensembles this year, so it's becoming more of a thing, and it's only two years old. What are the kind of venues that, that these concerts happen in? I mean, because that's in any, in any city, that's always the that's always the, I guess, the challenge is to find a venue that will actually put this stuff on yeah well um besides the universities of course so uh there's georgia state and georgia tech and emory university that are in town and host a lot of these events but um there's a gallery uh, a couple galleries actually downtown because downtown atlanta is slowly revitalizing into kind of like the the arts district uh so there's a place called idrum which is a pretty well established organization but they have a new location downtown that's been open maybe 3 years and they host a lot. There's another place um in northwest Atlanta called the Goat Farm which is a bunch of old um old factory buildings and railroad buildings and things like that and it actually has been used as a film set a lot so you can see some of it in some of the Hunger Games movies for example. Um, oh, so wow. that's, okay. that's part of how they get their funding, I think is like, yes, you can pay a lot to do a film shoot here. And then that will subsidize us performing avant-garde music. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's a, so thanks Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, thank you. <laughs> who, who knew she was a supporter? Um, yeah, so th- there's a variety of places and I mean, uh, we've done, uh, with Terminus, we did, uh, concerts and libraries and churches and things like that too. So, um, yeah, people are pretty amenable for putting on 
shoestring budget shows, so that helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I met. Um, I've I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, once I was doing, I, I was up in Bowling Green, and I was doing. Um, I was there for the new music on the new music festival at Bowling Green, and uh, John Luther Adams was our um, our guest, uh, like the the resident featured guest composer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we were doing his piece Anuxuit, and um, you know they just had percussionists from all over coming in and uh since i was there for the new the new music festival and i used i was a percussionist at one point you know i studied with the professor there i just agreed to uh to join into this performance and i actually met caleb heron at that um at that onsite. i think we were like right next to each other or something he would he got i think he got to play some drums I was very jealous because I I was only playing like glockenspiel and cymbals, and, which is you know it's okay, mm-hmm. but I mean if you really want to rock on that piece, you got to have a big setup. Right. But anyway, so it is a small world indeed. So yeah, cool. It is. Yeah, Caleb and I go way back. <laughs> <clears throat> so speaking of percussion, let's talk about your piece Ripples. Okay. And um, this is a piece for bass, clarinet, and marimba. It gets its title from the technique. Well, I, maybe I, I'm just assuming it gets its te- title from the technique that you're using on the marimba, mm. which is the ripple roll, one of my favorite rolls. Yes, indeed, it does. So I've been uh, writing a series of pieces. It's not really a series, but I just like titles with one word that is plural. <laughs> so, so I had blocks and hammers blocks. and. Uh, Dampers, dampers. Oh, not not titles though. Well, t- titles screwed up on that. Well, one. that that was before all this, I guess. <laughs> so titles from 2012, and so I guess it's uh, most of the stuff from the last the last four years or so is um <laughs> are these plural titles, um but yeah um ripples honestly i feel like it's kind of a lame title but i couldn't think of anything better because <laughs> it was connected to that technique and uh, i do i like the titles to reflect something that's going on and uh, um yeah so the really the whole idea behind this piece was i liked the idea of oh there are two different types of roles you can get and there's a subtle difference if you aren't listening for it i suppose but it's a really stark difference of you're either going hand-to-hand bling, 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 or you're trying to do a smoother um, role where you're using four mallets um, kind of yeah, rippling. The, yeah. You the explain physicality, it. <laughs> <laughs> the physicality of it is basically like when hand-to-hand your, your mallets are uh, very fixed and firm. So if, if you can imagine playing piano, it's just like, you know, having a chord set up in your right hand, having a chord set up in your left hand, and just alternating them. The thing with a ripple roll is you kind of, you almost let go of your mallets in a way. They're not fixed and firm anymore. So they just kind of bounce a little bit more freely. So instead of like, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, it's more like, and um, if you do, if you, if, if the player practices that, it sounds, you know, it, it's just a different, a different expression of the marimba, mm-hmm. I think. And it's, it's a really cool sound. I've used it in uh, some, uh, some of my really early marimba writing that is not available anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a cool role, but I think like, I think my favorite role on marimba is po- is probably the mandolin role, which is what? That's a very specific technique okay. that only works on the white keys. Ah, okay. Um, you basically take uh, your two mallets in one hand, and you put them on either side of the end of the bar, and then you can like basically go i'm yeah i know i realize this is a podcast and it's so basically you put it on the bottom and the top of the bar and then you can roll on a single note which is a very hard thing to do um if if uh you're if all if you're using four mallets basically and you want to roll in a single hand 
Right. So okay. So it's a good technique. So I've seen that. I just didn't know that was what it was called. Cool. I I think that's called a mandolin roll. That's how I've always I'm not, called I'm it. I'm not questioning that. I just hadn't. <laughs> I'm not a percussionist. I'm just a percussion wannabe. Uh, I love yeah. I love percussion, but I was a piano player and a trombone player, and uh, so it's like, oh, I, I wish I could hit things. That that looks fun, but uh, <laughs> but we everyone everyone wants to be a percussionist. Right? <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, the idea of this piece was um, the. Uh, contrast of the traditional hand-to-hand roll and the ripple roll and trying to extrapolate from that, um, you know, into an actual metered uh, pulsing uh, changing of chords. And then the bass clarinetist just gets to play a long, sweeping, awesome melody on top of it so um, they can have fun and milk it. <laughs> was this Was this also connected to a harmonic series? Uh yes, um, but the marimba, um, it's uh, it's harmonic series is a little different. So, um, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. It's basically like you start with the fundamental note and then you skip an octave. So you, your first um partial is two octaves above, and then it's like a fifth above that, and then like a sixth above that, or something like that. So there, it's these very okay. spread out partials. So yeah, I was starting okay. on like a low D flat and then making chords based on on those partials, sort of like I was doing in title, but just going ahead and putting them in um equal temperament. Was that was that based on the uh the spe- the spectrum of the clarinet then? Um, you know, it may have been, but I, I feel like I was just basing it on the spectrum of the of the marimba itself. So just going oh, ahead okay. and skipping a lot of them, um, because um, like the harmonic series on strings or winds, the uh, the marimba it, it starts getting closer as you go up, and so since they're playing on all those, really only in the high register, they're they're playing uh, notes that are closer together. Well, the reason I asked about the the spectrum of the clarinet is because when I listened to this, the very first chord made me kind of like the the bass clarinet starts and then the marimba comes after it. And the first chord made me actually check the score because the marimba ended up sounding like electronics, like you were extracting partials from the bass clarinet. So they melded together very, very closely, I think, and it, it sounded like very seamless. Well, that's what I was going for, so that must have been what I did. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, it, it's funny talking about these pieces that I uh, wrote several years ago, and I had such, you know, grand ideas for them and then completely forgot about them when I moved on to something else. Um, so I revise everything I said. It must be based on the clarinet harmonic series. <laughs> um, because that kind of effect is is something that, I mean, when I've heard that in other pieces, I think, and whenever you sneak in something or like some other player keeps resonating, you didn't even know they were playing. I just always love that, and so yeah, yeah. that's that's such a cool magic trick that composers mm-hmm. get to get to do. Cool. So who are we gonna hear? Who are we gonna hear with ripples? Uh, so this recording is the premiere, and it's by Transient Canvas. They're a duo based in Boston.
we're we've come to the last question that I always ask any any artist who's on the podcast. So, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Hmm. Well, um, there's a picture of me on the piano in my diapers at at age twelve. <laughs> I mean, at age two. <laughs> So I, I you never had a choice. <laughs> I uh, I liked plunking around on it from an early age. Um, the the first job I remember wanting to do was be a film director. So there was something in me about needing to make something creative. Um, but I started taking piano lessons in third grade, I think, and then you know, and then I played in band and sang in choir and all that. And the the music bug hit me, and the I'm still a, a Still, kind of a film buff, but and I, I do some some uh, experimental video stuff sometime. But I just I didn't get the bug of trying to go to Hollywood and do that. I, I think maybe somehow making music seemed more immediate and more feasible, um, and that's kind of how I came to it. But I came from it from a bunch of different angles, from doing all that stuff uh, in, in the different ensembles, and my brothers and I made these weird experimental cassette tapes <laughs> when I was in middle school like we found out if we push the pause button that would make the tape speed up and so oh this will make us sound really low and we'll make fart noises that are slowed down and stuff like that <laughs> so I mean <laughs> so I you know just being creative in general was um was always important to me and I, I guess I just had more tools for music at an earlier age so that just started taking over you know those were my options for being creative and uh, just took to it and kept going. Where can people find you online? Everywhere. So uh, my website is <laughs> just open Google and there he is. Um, yes. Uh, so my name is Adam Scott Neal and I have a very boring website uh, URL. It's adamscottneal.com. I'm on Twitter at at Adam Scott Neal, <laughs> etc. So, tried to make myself easy to find, but yeah, I'm I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, um, all as Adam Scott Neal. Um, I'm not on LinkedIn any. I'm not on LinkedIn anymore because I never saw any use for it. So, please don't send me your invites for the twentieth time. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> I I think if, I, I I used to work at like this uh, like. Um, it was an on-campus career center, and I had to sign up for a LinkedIn account because I was working there. You know, I had to like at certain certain points like show people how to use it. But I totally forgot what my password is, and I have no control over my profile. And I get requests like invites to to whatever for LinkedIn all the time, and it's I can't stop it. You know, <laughs> I can't delete my account. Well, that. That's a shame because, uh, yeah, I had to delete mine. And, of course, I still get invites to my work email because people just put in every contact that they have. But, you right. know, LinkedIn just seems so notorious for that. And it's just it, – it's not really helpful for the arts because we're all on Facebook no, and Twitter. We're, we're not on LinkedIn. So if you want to network in, in the arts, then get on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, man. And maybe, maybe SoundCloud. Um, so, Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this, Adam. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate uh, the chance to talk about myself every time. So <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>